Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, before we start, we want to let you all know that we're doing another live show. It's going to be on Wednesday, March 20th at 7 p.m. at the Lee Strasberg Theater in West Hollywood. We're going to have a casting panel where we're going to speak to TV, film, and commercial casting directors about how to get great actors into your work. We'll cover audition techniques from both director and actor sides and learn what directors can do to find the perfect actors for their projects. And we're also going to have refreshments and lots of schmoozing time. Tickets are free for any patron tier on Patreon. Or it's just five bucks on Eventbrite. But seating is limited, so make sure you get your tickets. Check it out at live. Hey, welcome to the 408th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Kevin O'Brien, that's kevinobrien.film, and Reese Miles Thomas, who on Twitter, aka X, is at R-H-Y-S-M-T. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Oren Kaplan. And today we have Matthew J. Lloyd on the podcast. Yet another Matt. Apologies to all the non-Matts in the world. Uh, but he is the cinematographer. He has a movie in theaters right now. It's called Origin, directed by Ava DuVernay. He's working on an Apple TV Plus show. He shot some movies you might have heard of. Spider-Man, Far From Home, mm-hmm. uh, Project Almanac, uh, Power Rangers. He's uh, just did a music video for Doja Cat not that long ago. And he knows everyone. He's worked with some very famous directors. He's buddies with other famous directors. But he, I didn't know this until today, is Canadian. He's an immigrant mm-hmm. uh, in our country. And he, he came here with nothing but a few skate videos. And sure. he well, made right. it pretty big. And he tells us about that journey uh, and also about his working relationship with directors. And also I think my highlight of the interview was when he talked about his philosophy on how to shoot scenes, like basically walking into a room and figuring out how to shoot it. Um, So I think you will enjoy this episode. It was a really awesome conversation to have, you know, every once in a while we'll have a guest on and I'll be like, Oh, that's right. This is why we make this show. (laughs) Like, this is why we're still doing it. And this is one of those conversations. And look, there's a lot of different buckets that can fall into. It could be like, oh, it's so great to have this, like, personal connection with someone I've admired for a long time. Oh, we really dig on, dig in on craft. Or, oh, I, this unlocked, you know, a business strategy I hadn't thought of before. There's all sorts of different reasons to, to keep making the show. But this was one of those craft episodes for me where it's just like, you're reminded of the passion and the emotional intelligence that it takes to make great art, but in really applicable and tangible ways. It never veers into a conversation that's like impractical or artsy fartsy. It all felt grounded in craft and practice while still, frankly, being kind of a, a little spiritual, if I dare say it. No, yeah. Every once in a while, someone comes in here and does make it about the relationships and the feelings and the vibes and the tones and the excitement to do good work. And, uh, you know, it's easy to get swept away in that, which I think we did. Sometimes you need that, you know? Sometimes it's nice to be reminded that, like, it's a special thing we get to do. Well, without further delay, 
I urge you all to go to patreon.com slash just shoot a pod, the place where you can throw us a couple bucks. Um, if you want to keep the show going, if you found some meaning or usefulness out of this podcast, uh, that's a way to, to show your support. And I'm sure listeners, eagle-eared listeners, uh, have noticed that we've started plugging people's websites or handles at the top of episodes. Uh, that's just something we're throwing in to all existing patrons. So if you want to hear your website shouted out at the top of an episode, throw us a buck or two. Patreon.com slash just shoot a pod keep the show going and when you sign up tell us uh, your website you know or whatever you want us to mention on the podcast do it patreon.com slash just shoot a pod we appreciate it now let's talk to some directors photography or at least one a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, we're on with... Yet another Matt, mm-hmm. overrepresented in the film business. If you're describing a Matt and you're like, oh, yeah, he's like, a, you know, a beard, maybe a little scruffy, button downs, glasses sometimes, brown hair. You haven't narrowed. There's like, a pile of them, dude. There's a pile the, of the them guess down who bo- Like the guess who board yeah. is unmoved. Right. You've only <laughs> narrowed like, yeah, 5% of the Matt. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, Matt, you are a DP. You've shot some little films like Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the ones with home in the name, Far From Home, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. One of the home, the home series. One of the homey ones. Um, you shot uh, Project Almanac, probably one of my most favorite viral trailers. You know, we, we planned those pretty hard. You shot Power Rangers. You also shot Origin with Ava DuVernay. Who, uh, I did. Full disclosure, Matt and I have not seen it yet. We're super excited to watch it. We watch the trailer. It's amazing. So we had a few questions for you. But first, before we get into that, I was going to talk to you about how we worked together at one point. And then uh, Matt Endless said we should save it for the podcast. So you were the cinematographer on potentially your greatest work. It's um, a short film by the name of Bunyan. Oh, wow. Is that how we know each other? My friend Avi Rothman was first guest on the second episode. It's a biographical story about himself. He has giant bunions on both his feet. I don't think he would mind me saying that because he made an entire film about it. He did. That he starred in, incidentally. Uh, So I happened to star in a scene where I am playing hacky sack with with another guy, another friend of ours, Ryan, at the Silver Lake Meadow. And Matt shot it. So Sure did. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. I knew I'd said it right when I walked on. I said, I know this person. (laughs) I was like, how did Jessica get this no budget thing? I, I, by the way, did the visual effects on that short also uh, for no money. Um, And I was like, how'd she get Matt Lloyd? And so he's like, she just knows him from around. She asked him to shoot. And it, it like never dawned on me that I could just like ask very talented Mm -hmm. people to work on my no budget things, you know? That's, hey man, listen, we're here to help. (laughs) What we do. 
but Jessica Sanders, yeah, I kind of learned from her, like, hey, you just ask any, ask the best DP you can yeah, find on Instagram together, to shoot your thing. If they're available and interested. <laughs> You've got a, a significant number of shorts, like, especially from that era before you were shooting big time movies. I feel like that's just what people were doing at the time, though. Like, I, I, is it less common now? I feel like you can make a feature length film for the same amount of money now. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, you know, I did like some short films you'd pull up on and be like, whoa, this is. And we used to tag them onto commercials, too. Like, that's the other thing people, <laughs> you know, you sort of that era was like, the oh, we're going to go do a three day Toyota job and then tack on a Francis and the Lights music video to the end of it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like you would sort of do these par- these parlays. I remember hearing like that Fincher did that once upon a time, like when he was first starting out, like he rapped early, but kept everybody around to like shoot a PSA yeah. or something right. like the, those urban legends of, uh, of how people. I mean, Tarsem did it a lot. Tarsem was like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think most of the fall was done that way. Like they would literally, you know, I'm like, I have some friends in common and the, you know, the AD friend of mine would tell me like, Oh yeah, we'd be like in Namibia and we'd do the thing and then like we'd stay for two days and do like a whole Yeah. Sequence. But Namibia is known for that. Everyone does that in Namibia. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, it, it is. I heard a an interview with uh the guy that runs Spears and Arrows, uh his production company the other day, and he was talking about how shorts it used to be that shorts really could help out your real help out a director and that mm-hmm. it and he's not seeing that as much nowadays, but I do think you're right. There was this era of like shorts were the thing, you know, you into Sundance. You I mean, get show, a feature. Actually, to, to, to be honest with you, the, I'm, I'm working on a, my, the film I'm doing right now at Apple or the series I'm doing right now at Apple was a short film I did with the director like in 2019. Oh, I mean, wow. that's awesome. And now it's a 10 part Apple production. Are you allowed to tell us about it? Um, yeah, it's a, a kind of a noirish comedy LA in the sort of late sixties. Um, mm-hmm. you know, a bunch of really good friends, you know, all friends that we've been, you know, running with forever. And it was just cool to see something that was like real passion based and all, you know, all kind of, uh, everyone that had known each other for so long. And we kind of came together, made this 20 minute thing. And then, you know, the director is a good friend of ours just sort of, Slowly but surely chipped away and uh, got it into some hands. And the next thing you know, they wrote a 10 part season and away we go. Was it intended to be sort of a proof of concept or was it purely like no, a short? I think that it like- was like purely, it, it felt, you know, it had a beginning, middle, and end. As a, you know, awesome. it functioned as a, as a 20 minute short. I don't know that it ever did whatever shorts do in terms like of festivals festival. Yeah. Whatever that, uh, I mean, now I, you know, truthfully, I'm sort of a little bit, uh, I'm, I'm less on the internet than probably I should be, but, uh, I, I feel it's like so it bad. all just comes out, you know, it's like that, the Vimeo thing kind of took right. over the, the short Staff film pick. presentation, uh, uh, platforms. Like, I don't know, like do festivals still do like lengthy short film programs? I, I think not. now like a Vimeo staff pick or a short of the week tends to be like the finale of a successful mm-hmm. shorts run, right? I like see. it does whatever festivals it's doing. And then like, if it's, if it's of a certain caliber, then will be a short of the week or something or the other way around where it'll be 
it'll premiere as a staff pick is like a political thing that people are doing now as well. So, but it's still doing kind of like, um, the festival rounds because also like music videos turned into short films at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. So then you had that whole thing of like, Oh, we're going to do like three songs and put, you know, kind of, it'll have a narrative thing and we'll get like, you know, I don't know, some notable actor of repute in there and it'll be, uh, Sure, someone will make it. It'll be a short film. Yeah. But also paid for by a record level. Yeah, thank boy. I think that those are music videos are back now, thanks to YouTube as well. Like I feel like there was a minute where they were gone. Yeah, the bottom fell out. I mean, I I was sort of very much uh, in that universe when the bottom just completely (laughs) collapsed. (laughs) And we sort of rebuilt it. You know, it's like we rebuilt it, like that sort of mid to late 2000s like it it was a total rebuild where you would like mm-hmm. do a job like literally with a straight face it'd be like here's a thousand dollars like sure. go, <laughs> go my, shoot. my first you know, music some video of that stuff was like i mean literally still shooting film at that point like sure. i don't even think yeah. alexas were a thing like you could like do something on 16 you could do something with like a, a dslr type of You're situation panasonic, panasonic uh yeah HVX. remember with the with the, the little HBX. skinny glass sure. and, yeah, and yeah. you could put the 35 primes it was like a weird a german company that made the like PS an Technic. attachment that's yeah. it yeah, yeah. there it is yeah who is the director of your show the apple show paul hunter paul hunter cool and yeah, he is a music video commercial legend and had he done TV before? Is this kind of, he made no, this short? No, this is like the first, yeah, this is the first. For, I mean, he's, you know, I mean, obviously he's like a total superstar in the short form world. You know, he's like, mm-hmm. I mean, this guy's as as legendary as they come and he's a super dear friend of mine. Um, is he who you did like Doja Cat with and like the some of those No, things? he and I did. So we did like uh, video wise, we did like Pharrell Williams Freedom, mm-hmm. which is, you know, as far as, yeah, a, a music video concept goes about as as wild as it gets you know it's like just so that's like a tapestry and uh done a bunch of stuff with justin timberlake and uh yeah done a few videos and then like some pretty pretty epic uh commercial collabs he's uh quite a visionary man that's cool Good that's friend. i mean yeah. that short to tv series we haven't heard that story very often it happens. Um, I mean, awesome. it, you know, and it was sort of one of those things that felt like it worked as a as a series, you know, and that sort of is the dominant um, the dominant narrative structure of the moment, one might right. say. Yeah, no, you know, it, it's hard yeah. to make. It's hard to make a movie. You know, it's it's really if you're <laughs> if you need any kind of resources, it's hard to make a a, a, a film. Certainly, with a with a studio, it's tricky business. So. Well, so I guess we wanted to just get like a real quick background on you. I, I had thought that maybe you were involved with the Waverly Films guys kind of doing sketch comedy kind of cool. No, videos certainly. In- yeah, no, I don't. I don't. Uh, <laughs> I wish. Or maybe I don't wish, actually. Probably not. Maybe I yeah, thought that I, because I John let, me, Watts- let me retract that. I do not <laughs> wish that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but how did you kind of get your your break like what was cop car like how did you go because i feel like you went pretty fast from these shorts to shooting spider-man which is like a giant movie and how did john watts i mean i know you shot with dean israelite project almanac and power rangers and then spider-man like do do you feel like you needed those steps in the middle in order to for the studio from sony or marvel or whoever to 
let John Watts bring you uh, on? I was working for Marvel before John asked me to come and do Spider-Man. In other capacities? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I mean, I, I had been filming for them. So, Mar- you know, there's this whole, uh, do we want to go like down the Marvel uh, sure. rabbit hole here? Because it is a lengthy... I mean, as it pertains to, to your trajectory, 100%. Yeah. Sure. So, so coming out of short form which at the time was probably like late 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a couple of things happening. There were, you know, videos were kind of coming back. You had these sort of fashion-y film things that weren't commercials, but they were sort of, um, I don't know if they still really do them, but they were kind of higher budget, but just you could be a little more free and they could be longer and whatever. Brand so, films and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, right? and then you had yeah. just, you know, straight up commercials. and as as a short form opportunity, you know, to sort of build a body of work in short form at that time was actually possible to convince somebody to let you be paid as a director of photography on one of those sorts of things. And because the technology was evolving and democratizing in a way that put the tools in your hand to create sort of quote unquote you know, economically viable imagery, I call it like, you know, you could put it up next to something else. And if it was executed properly, you stood a chance of being a comparable hire, so to speak. So you could very quickly, if you were motivated um, and said yes to a lot of stuff, you could, you could build a body of work that was seemingly uh, at least passable, if not impressive. So just to deconstruct that real quick, just for our younger listeners, yeah. What you're saying is that like you came up at a time when you could shoot something on a DSLR or like a like a a more affordable medium in some way. Yes. Was digital. Comparable digital. Right. Basically, you could yeah. shoot something digital that looked good enough if you did it right to be yeah. in competition with something that was previously much more expensive on 35 or 16 millimeter. Sure. And the, and the difference now is that everyone's hip to it. So at the time you sort of had the the film-based capture as the sort of metric for good or or at least mm-hmm. you know quote unquote professional and then yeah, you had all real, this other stuff yeah. you had all this other stuff that was evolving and if you really spent some time with that technology you could turn out photography of you know some tangible value that that would equate to what the quote unquote upper mm-hmm. crust was doing right, so right. You know, now I, I think it's probably more challenging because everybody knows everything and all the tools are available. So it's not like you're you're not sneaking in, so to speak. Um, <laughs> anyway, all of that to say, we were shooting on film, we were shooting digitally, we were shooting all kinds of stuff, but we were just amassing huge volumes of imagery, all of which didn't really have any... Uh, you didn't have a ton of responsibility to anyone because there wasn't a ton of money. So you just kind of made things that were interesting to you. And then I was lucky enough to build this body of work then. Uh, and, and I'm perfectly happy doing that. I mean, I grew up filming skateboarding and shooting, you know, skate photos and that was my whole life. And then I started doing the short form stuff cause that seemed logical. Like, Oh, I can hold a camera and film things. So I should just go do this. And you're totally happy doing that. Not really didn't grow up with aspirations really for, you know, proper films, like was just happy to be employed and with my friends and making stuff that seemed interesting. Then the phone rang 
It was Oliver Stone's office. He calls me in out of nowhere. I don't know this man from the hole in the wall. <laughs> no, come on. <laughs> 20, 25 years old or 20, probably 25 years old, sitting in Oliver Stone's office, like literally with Oliver Stone. A, yeah, yeah, with Oliver Stone. Yeah, I left a, left a, uh, I was making a short film with Isaiah Surrett and Neckface at the, at the Mocha Museum in Neck's like weird, like uh, haunted house thing that he had built as part of the art and streets show that was there that all of our friends had had at work in. So we were hanging out there a lot. We were making the short film phone rings. Hey, this is Oliver Stone's agent. Like, you know, can, can you come just leave, literally leave and go over there, meet Oliver. I'm like, you know, obviously I grew up on this man's work and, uh, uh, but I don't know anything about shooting movies. I'm quite transparent about that. I'm like, Hey, you know, I'm honored to be here and, Wait, you so seen, what have, what of yours had he seen? Like your fashion films? He had, just seen, yeah, he had just seen some of this potpourri of imagery that we were cranking out. And so he said, um, you obviously don't know anything about movies. I'm making this movie <laughs> called Savages, but I like what you're doing. They probably won't hire you. Actually, I think I said they're never going to hire me as a DP, but why don't I come on as your second unit? You didn't have a cinematographer mm. yet on the film. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I understood very quickly that it wasn't going to be me, but maybe there was like a, a, a way to just hang, you know what I mean? And, and, and mm -hmm. create some imagery that maybe was helpful for him in in creating that film cut to, you know, basically six months straight together or five months straight together while they shot the movie. Danny Mandel comes in as the, as the cinematographer, he was very kind to me, kind of let me just do my thing. And we had this sort of misfits commercial crew that ran a second unit and we ended up shooting, you know, a ton of stuff on the, you know, all opening all the stuff with Blake Lively. The really, that movie has like a lot of kind of airy, arty stylized to yeah. it, which was, yeah, which is all just kind of us running around, you know, shooting. And he would just send, you know, I'd go and see him in the trailer in the morning and he'd just send us off to, you know, who knows where went down to Laguna for a few weeks and shot all the beach stuff. Did he do it all? Or did he give you shotlets? Did he? I mean, just say, he, Go get in his crazy way, stuff? yes, I, I still have them in my in my archive. But he writes on like these giant yellow uh, legal pads, like <laughs> like notes, like you have never seen in your life. Like you know, just just freehand and 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 yeah. And so um, you kind of decipher that as best you can, and. Uh, but I had never done a film. So I'm like there and he's like, yeah, take Benicio and go down and do film, you know, like he's on the mm. highway driving and he should have this car. car. I was like, he's saying he, things. So, so you can <laughs> saying like things out loud. Like, how am I going to tell? Like literally and, and I'm 25 actors. year old Canadian. And when I'm you like, say Benicio, what am I? You mean Benicio del Toro, a movie star. At like peak, you know, at like yeah, peak yeah. level too. Like peak we're not Toro. talking about like, Yeah. <laughs> I mean, literally, like this dude was on ten the whole time. Uh, I mean, amazing, you know. He's like, wait, so but there's no director. Is there a second unit director with you? Yeah, there was, um, but I in certain moments, like if it was just like MOS photography, like the whole opening is like Blake is doing a monologue, like walking down the beach, like that's just me and an assistant and an AD and. And, and she's famous staff. enough at that point where you need like security and all oh, that yeah, bro. stuff. We were getting, cha I mean, literally like paparazzi all over the place. Like it was, yeah, it was, that was like, literally I got to the end. Anyway, I got to the end of that and just looked around. I was like, okay, cool. Like 
I can probably make a movie. You know what I mean? Like this was <laughs> insane. You're like, I mean, this, you know, I'll keep like doing this. This sounds fun. Weapons, you know, guns are going <laughs> off all the time. I mean, it was, you know, just it was it was special in the sense that you got to see, you know, a, a, a legend like Oliver do his thing. Um, you know, and and I was blessed that he sort of had enough faith in me, or at least the film was, you know, because that was all all on film. So the the dailies are coming back. He's getting excited and, 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 you know, he just kept throwing stuff, you know, just mm -hmm. more and more, you know, at one point we're in like a Cessna jet with Selma Hayek, like, <laughs> you know, literally I'm like, okay. Uh, and, and then at the end of it, Danny had to leave. He was starting Star Trek. And so Oliver and I went to Indonesia and finished. There's like a little epilogue to that movie. We flew to Indonesia for 10 days and shot the end of the movie, just me and him and the cast. So anyway, Suffice it to say that was like a proper introduction to welcome to Hollywood kid. Sure. You know, yeah, that's a, that's a and trial then, by fire. Do, do so you at the end of that, at the end of that, um, then I, then I like went and did some, you know, like a buddy of mine had a, had a movie, um, in New York, you know, like a $5 million indie thing, went and did that couple indie things. The Oliver so, thing sort of became like, like a little bit, you know, word on the street was like, there was some kid that Oliver had shooting stuff. And then, mm -hmm. I think Dean called me maybe for Project Almanac, which was a Paramount Michael Bay situation, got involved in that. And that had like a lot of visual effects and stuff kind of clued into how all that was working. That was right at the point where you could just tell everything was going to be made in a computer in very short order. So you mm -hmm. were like, it was the last of like the real kind of practical stuff, like where we still had like tons of weird special effects and table <laughs> shaking and stuff. Now it's all just, you know, not that yeah Shake, so that was into, into yeah exactly so once you had the once i kind of had that part of it worked out then shortly after that one did daredevil for that whole netflix marvel mm -hmm. collab which kind of got the fight stuff figure i got the i got the fighting stuff figured out uh i could do that you know and then and then um and then you know shortly after that marvel studios called and my friend um, Taika had just done uh, Thor Ragnarok and they had a big additional, you know, they were doing a sizable chunk of that in Atlanta after they had got back from Australia. So I hooked up with him, you know, he and I had done commercials together. So hooked up with him, we shot that. And then shortly after that was Spider-Man. Anyway, that's like the whole episode. So <laughs> we're done, right? Is that yeah, we, we did it? There? Yeah, nailed it. In your mind, like you picked up, you had like this hero's journey, you picked up trust from a like famous director, mm -hmm. you figured mm -hmm. out how to work with actors and kind of do some storytelling and get funky with it. Then you figured out like fight choreography, you figured out, I mean, Thor Ragnarok, what, what did you do on that? Did you? I mean, it was a, a lot of it. <laughs> I mean, we did, you know, it's like those things two are... DPs on it. Uh, Are you the DP? No, on it? I mean it would be it would be uh, that would be like what's considered additional photography. Okay. So the way you know, oftentimes those films have sizable chunks that get worked on after the principal, like the they like went to Australia, and things like that. Yeah, they went to Australia, shot it, and then they come back, and then we'll do like a chunk in Atlanta or a chunk in LA, or you know. So I get involved a lot with those sorts of procedures for 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 them you know that's awesome i mean i so one thing you've been you've been saying a lot through this conversation is about your friends you had some friends you're shooting some stuff at mocha with 
your friends. You brought some misfits to from music videos to you know shoot yeah, savages. Your friend Taika, your friend, you know, like like clearly you've fully immersed yourself in like a community of filmmakers that are kind of because it seems like half of your success came from people just hearing about you. Maybe some agents talking about you, directors, seeing people saying online, and the other half just being like really immersed with in this community of like filmmakers. Um, is that, do you feel like that's like super important for like, for people to, to do to. I, I mean, I, it? you know, I might be old school in my sort of formal training or my just sort of sense of what it really is about to, to make moving images. But I, you know, I really believe that as cinematographer is, there to help make stuff with their friends you know it's like it's not it's not its own it's not its own art form that's separate and apart from the vision of the filmmaker you know it's like we like i have been blessed to get to watch and help my friends make things and a lot of it's been really good and a lot you know some of it isn't but it's it you just are there to participate and support the work and however in whatever way you can and with the tools at hand and so you know i I say like i did this with my friends and that with my friends because really when they call i show up you know ultimately i think that that's really the and that's why the 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 body of work is kind of bizarre you know you sort of go from like a checkoff rendition of the seagull in you know upstate new york to Power Rangers to, you know, (laughs) cop car, Daredevil, you know, I mean, all of it is kind of all over the place, but I care about every single person that I've ever made anything with, you know, I have a lot of love for. And so. And even uh, when someone like Dean calls you and you've never met them before out of the blue, you do you feel like your first job is to kind of become friends with them? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, Dean and I, the, the first time I ever met him, I'll never forget it. It was at, uh, on Larchmont at uh, La Pan on Larchmont. Mm-hmm. And I walked in there and this dude just went off, man. He's moving his hands and he's got drawings and he's got all that. I was just what like, you, avocado and tomato omelet? This, what do you order? This the dude tea is, is very awesome. strong. I got yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, like, and you're just, you're sitting across from this dude. You're like, oh, this guy's amazing. Like, let's go, you know? Well, um, you know, that, that makes me, uh, it kind of leads me to my question of like, it sounds like you're shooting all over the place. You're flying to upstate New, to New York or, you know, internationally. Downstate New York. Yeah, sure. And also a part of a community. But it feels mm. like, you know, I, th- I think especially as Orin and I have gotten older and we've got roots and kids and stuff, it feels a lot harder to be engaged in a community in the way that we used to be. Um, and traveling is a, is a big, big part of that. How did you foster those relationships while you were shooting so much you mean the the friendships with people that are yeah Yeah, like how do you hang and also you know globe trot i mean i think that the the hanging window is short i mean it feels long when you're in it but you know i mean it's kind of wrapped by 30 honestly (laughs) like in terms of like i'm talking about the like hit it 24 7 like wrapped it shoot all night i mean i remember like back in the day like the videos and stuff like literally 
filming all night, doing some Usher video downtown, then like getting in the car, driving up, doing some, you know, stage job, you know, white psych stage job at Coyote. And then, you know, like literally sleep for three hours at lunch and then, or at, at the end of the day, and then, you know, go do something else. Like you, you, uh, you can do that for only X amount of time, you know? And I think like, while that's happening, you're sort of building your own folklore and your own kind of like personal history that will, you know, be the fireside chat for the rest of your life. You know what I mean? Like I'll, I'll tell those stories from now until the end of time because they were just, I mean, first of all, it was, you know, wild, or at least it felt wild, you know, while we were doing it. Um, right, that's and, your and it's your or... sort of moment. Yeah. I mean, it's your moment. It's your seventies, like mm-hmm. indie easy rider moment. You know what I mean? Everybody's got it just depends on the circumstances, you know? Um, and, and it started for me back home in Canada and we had like a nice run in Toronto and then that got small and, and coming to LA, but keeping that same energy and just like showing up, you know, you just like, you, 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 you show up with no pretense and you just want to like help make things good as best you can, you know? And like, you're using your, your instinct and you're kind of like, your your aesthetic inclination to like affect the thing however you can and and hopefully it works out but once you have had those moments with people like it's hard to get rid of them you know like i was sitting with a friend of mine two days ago who's gone on to make you know feature films and is a legend and commercial legendary photographer (laughs) no my friend autumn dewild who's like you know shot every amazing album cover in the 90s you know just all the every musician her photography is incredible and then like all these epic but we had done a video like you know um what seems like a million years ago now and we were just sort of teeing up the stories about it the other day like talking about remember this remember that and like you just you hang on to that stuff you know because it's not only is there tangible work there that you can look at forever and just be reminded of the kinship you know but there's also like it evolves and the context of it evolves. Like people reference now stuff from what seems like, you know, ancient sure. times, but like 12, 15 years ago, like ends up in a commercial pitch book, you know. Well, that's thanks. Thanks to shot deck mostly. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Which I've never used. Did somebody turn me on a shot deck? I was like, wait a minute. Like, where did they get the imagery? Like how did someone have to yeah. sit there and literally pull? I think so. Every frame. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Everything you're laying down, I think, makes a ton of sense and feels very familiar, right? Like the the idea of communal filmmaking, collaborative filmmaking, that kind of hustly DIY sort of vibe, I think Mm -hmm. is like at least what I dreamt of as a kid. You know what I mean? Like your idols, like, you know, maybe it's a easy writer moment or maybe you think like oh i want to be pt anderson or spike jones or whomever sure. yeah, right yeah of course i mean spike was a big influence on you know sure. all of it for sure yeah right of course what we watched him do you know i mean in the shop growing up like that's all we had on you know it was like of course oh of wow course. like you just <laughs> and you don't even realize oh that's the same guy in all of these videos right oh yeah totally but so how do you take that mentality right when it's an intimate crew it's 15 20 people and then all of a sudden, now we're talking about a Marvel movie with a team of 200 people. Right. Like, how, how do you infuse that sort of ethos into the work when you scale up like that? 
Yeah, I mean, I, it's funny you use that term because that's what I always say. It's like whenever, you know, I often get it now going in reverse, like where I'll want to do something smaller and I'll just be sitting in a room with some producers being like, how are you ever going to, like they're scared. We only have seven grips for this insert yeah, shot. Yeah, seven grips and I'm going to like literally it? like try to, you know, like uh, pick up the house with a construction crane or something and <laughs> rotate it so the light is better. I don't know. Anyway. That's um, a good idea. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's funny because it is, I, I always say that uh, everything I do is scalable. Like the actual core practice is basically the same, irrespective of budget uh, from mm-hmm. 200 million all the way down to 2 million or, you know, just the tiniest thing. Um, or the just for the love of the game, short form video, whatever, uh, the, the, the core methodology remains intact and then it just gets bigger or smaller and 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 the only way that really functions is to have like a pretty clear understanding not so much of the technology because i i've lost interest honestly at this point with like every new instrument you know at some point i just think that we've we, we've just we're just creating more unused outdated fixtures you know mm-hmm, it, like sure. Ultimately, like there was a point where it was like, all right, it's tungsten, there's HMI, there's fluorescent. And then there's this like LED thing, which has some uses because it can do a number of things in certain settings. Um, but those were kind of the, now it's like every 10 minutes is some new thing. And have you used the such and so? And mm-hmm. I can't, yeah. the names are so wild that I can't like what was wrong with just calling it the wattage of the, the 18k like now we yeah. have like now it's like the Taurus mm-hmm. stallion yeah. you know what the cyclone 40d yeah the cyclone 40 with like I mean you've seen the upgraded cyclone with the new firmware anyway um <laughs> I digress but the point is that the, the 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 key instincts are the same right like you you walk into a space you sort of determine what's interesting about the space, how the architecture of the space will impact the lighting, how you're listening a lot with regard to how scenes going to unfold. What, what the director is really after, is it, is it a, is it an aesthetic venture? Like, are we after just a, achieving a look? Are we after something emotionally? Are we after, you know, uh, a lot of material, very little material, singular image. Um, what kind of performance is it going to be? Is it, are we all over the place? Is it static? Are we, you know, you're, you're kind of trying to assess what it's going to be all the while, just trying to figure out what are, what would be the ideal, like I always ask myself, like what would be the ideal circumstances in this space for this scene where I would have to do nothing? I'd have to shoot it at four o'clock between four and four twenty, and it would have to be a cloudy day. And it would, you know, like you just sort of mm-hmm. tell yourself, like, if I just walked in here and took one photograph, what would be the ideal circumstances of that image? And then, okay, you know what that is. How would I replicate that for the six hours that we're going to be here? Mm-hmm. And knowing that I can't just look one way, I've probably got to, you know, put put together enough of this space that I can do it and do it quickly. And so, but living in the environment and making it a holistic practice of like, I want this whole space to function 
Percy and I'm not, I'm not terribly interested in just like, okay, I'll do Matt on the couch, but then everything else is sure unworkable, you know? So you're trying to like put a, put together enough of it that you can then start to work very quickly because mm-hmm. you've predetermined, okay, when we're over here, it would be this and you're over here and you'd be that. So, um, and, and that becomes very easy to do large or small, you know, because it's, it's almost easier you know, some people say, oh, well, when it's so much easier when you have a ton of money, but it's actually sometimes easier when it's smaller because you can just say, all right, guys, well, we're going to shoot the conversation over here between four and four fifteen, And then we're going to go into close-ups and I'll sort of shape that <laughs> to match it. And then the sun will be gone, but we'll do the inserts last or whatever. And I'll light those, and, you know, we'll, whatever it is. So you can, when you know you're, you're, when, when you're sort of repeating the same thought processes, you can move it up and down very quickly. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. if you know you're going to be there for a week and a half and there's all kinds of money and special effects going on and whatever, then, you know, you just take out all the sun and light it artificially, but do it how you would do it to match the vibe you want. And then you just have that going the whole time. I'm curious. It sounds like th- this is really awesome to hear kind of your approach. It sounds like you kind of walk into you, you figure out the location, you figure out the tone mm-hmm. and you figure out the image that represents that for you and your head, you mm-hmm. know, the lighting and the, like, at what point does, do you think about camera movement or lack of camera movement, like in, in that storytelling or is that well, kind of really secondary? Yeah. Yeah. I uh, like uh, just uh, my nature is to be very active. I mean, I grew up, you know, skating and filming skating and all this stuff. So we were, you know, literally in the midst of a, not only a sort of technically illegal act and often trespassing or fully breaking and entering on occasion. Right. Um, sadly. And then also, you know, you're filming things at high speed chasing after people. And, you know, so there's like a freneticism to just my, my, my baseline uh, mode of operation is to like grab the camera and just go and get stuff. Um, I find that when I'm restrained, you know, I have to like the restraint is what has to be forced. You know, if someone's just going to hand me a camera and be like, all right, let's film this. We'll run around in circles and do a whole bunch of stuff. And some of it will be really good. And some of it will be cut out and you'll have a scene. But the, um, you know, it's the restraint. It's the like, you know, when there's heavy performance going on, when there's all that stuff and you really have to allow for the separation between the energy that you might have or the sort of like, like aspirational joy of getting to do this incredible work. Like you sort of have to pull that back a little bit and then let there be just, okay, we're just going to put the thing down and we're just going to let this happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, and then, you know, like I've done a fair amount of stuff where there's very kind of tricky long take stuff or, or, you know, like, or stunts that require, or, yeah, yeah. stunts or, you know, big planning, you know, where you're sort of building a set around a shot idea sure. that's going to be, you know, moving and doing all this stuff. In which case you just sort of, I tend to just like really try to execute like the longest possible incarnation of the thing, you know, not try to break it up into too many, too many parts and just try to, maintain the, the the lengthiest um occurrence that you can because i find like 
as you start to add a million things to a list, like, and then he's here and he's here and he's here, camera does this, 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 and this, like you kind of, you get lost in all of the, the points you're putting on the map. Whereas if you kind of let things play out and try to keep them alive as long as possible, um, you know, you tend to get a better result. Yeah. I imagine in a movie like Spider-Man, you're probably handing off to CG and picking up back again and, yeah, I mean, to like John's that. credit, in the in 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 the, and I feel like it was maybe the Russos that said it originally, but there was like at some point there was like an edict floating around of like, no matter what you do, make sure you film something for every shot in the movie, meaning that even if it's wholly replaced mm. in CG, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. have some tangible imagery that you photograph. It can be a C stand with a tennis ball on it or whatever sure. just sitting sure. in the daylight or it can be you know Swinging just don't from a rope. don't yeah just Swing don't buildings. fully yeah or mocap or anything you know just something that gives you tangible physics for every shot in the movie mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and so we've i've always kind of tried to live by that you know with the cg stuff where it's like okay we know that this is going to be 500 cg holy CG shots in the sequence, but you know, you, you try to at least shoot the building plate or the sky, you know, the, the movement that they would have in the sky or whatever it is, you know, you just try to get something. Yeah, that's cool. Well, uh, like I know we're, we're running out of time, but the, the last thing I wanted to ask you is, you know, you kind of told us about your approach, listening to directors, working with your friends. I'm curious about origin. Now it's a movie you made with Ava DuVernay. It's your first, the first movie you guys did together, right? Uh, we've been working together for some time. We did a few um, series uh, pieces prior to this, but but this has been, you know, a long journey. So while we were doing the other stuff, this was kind of always in process. Oh, interesting. Well, so how do you, like, what's your first meaning about this? You said, you know, you listen a lot, but I know kind of when we read a little bit about your process on this movie and the different filming styles, like, how do you, how do you go from script to figuring out how, how you shoot it? And like, what's your process with like Ava specifically? And is it different with every director? It it is different with every director. I think specifically with her, um, you know, I've just never worked with anybody who is so completely clear and committed to their own vision, not only their own vision, but just the, the actual necessity for what needs to manifest itself in the work. Um, both. How how do you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like when you say the necessity of what needs to manifest, there are so many parameters and opportunities and challenges that exist in the process of making a film. Mm -hmm. And I've just never quite, I'm in awe of her capacity to like gather every possible option for what something can be and literally like drill down into just the pieces of what she needs to communicate in the, in her visual language in the, in the, in the landscape of the film, meaning that you don't, that that you, you, you don't have these sort of, you don't really have the initial conversations of the 
what if and 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 mm-hmm. and blue sky stuff because she's so clear like the vision is so immaculate and clear that um from jump i mean even from the way she writes like in the in the, in, the, in the screenplay you're sort of reading this stuff and you just have a very clear sense of the not only the visual structure like in terms of the the way that she editorializes in her writing you understand like this image this image leads to this image leads to this image and this is the result you know and sort of she works with imagery very much like a writer works with words you know obviously she's writing her film so when you when you read the script and then you go and 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 capture it visually then there's another almost an, an additional writing process where she's sort of using the imagery to recommunicate what she wrote in the script it's like a really fascinating process i've never seen anything like it i don't know if i ever will um but i'm blessed truly immensely blessed to work with her so um hopefully we see it again and again in 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 future times wait so are you saying that like when you read the script it's basically just describing every shot that is needed to tell the story like it's very easy for you to go from script it's not describing shots so much as it's describing visual landscape so it's it's the detail that is being chosen in the writing gives you such a clear sense of what the lived experience of the scene will be like that you're you're not left wondering you you know you're not left wondering like oh i wonder how that should look like it's very you know she'll she'll use language you know she's a um you know first and foremost a, a fantastic writer so you're 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 caught up in all of these details that are in the script which often are not you know in 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 feature scripts like mm-hmm. it'll be very clear character very clear story arc very clear but you don't always have the landscape part of it made totally clear so you could walk in and say well maybe it's like this or maybe it's like that but you don't really have that with her so much it's 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 very much out of the gate contextualized for you on a visual level and does she use references and stuff is she showing you visuals to kind of get you we come from a very similar sort of set of aesthetic or you know kind of inspirational um work so you know we're we're conversing about imagery but it's imagery we're very comfortable with and know and occasionally new work will come up and we'll share it and kind of talk about oh that's interesting or did you were see there that? were a few few works that kind of came up regularly in the um, conversation like were yeah i think that uh well for just just to just to close out the the part of how she's kind of visualizing these things so the the the, the filming process is very unique because knowing that she's sort of writing with this imagery after in the editorial process the the filming of it is incredibly alive like you're sort of doing these uh, i always say it's like uh you feel because I'm also operating for her too, which is not always common on films that size. You know, sometimes it can be tricky, but it, there's no other way. The way we communicate is just very much like director, photographer, shoulder to shoulder. And we just go around and get it. But she's able to like, again, tee up like such a huge chunk of a scene, you know, like big 
you know, Nazi Germany or American, you know, town square in the American South in the, in the forties and, you know, like really kind of big set pieces, people moving, background moving, all kinds of detail, all kinds of specifics. She can get a lot of that going all at once. Like it's not this sort of like, okay, now we'll do this piece and we'll have these guys. It's like, you're really moving through time and space and it's all kept alive long enough that it feels lived. It really feels like a lived experience, you know, like being there operating it, you know, we're shooting on film in this movie too. So it's, you know, my eyes to the eyepiece the whole time. And we're, we're, um, you know, you're aware that you're photographing, but it feels like you're photographing something pretty real, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Super visceral feels, feels very active. You know, there's not kind of, a ton of trucks and stuff right behind you. It's all alive and in almost 360 degrees. So you're, you're, there's a freedom to that. And it does feel like sort of a lot of the things that we love, which is, you know, New York city street photography, Roy De Carava, Gordon Parks, you know, these are like major photographic, um, references looked at a lot of, um, Robert Frank, uh, uh, and, and, and try to, you know, live in that spirit when we're filming, like mm-hmm. that it is a, it is a, it is a photographed event. You know, it's not sort of this, this controlled, not, not that it's not controlled, but the, it's not sort of this, uh, contained image Frame. inside of a box, you know, and, and, and certain, certain moments of the movie are because that's what's called for. And so you're sort of in a more still, composed thing and then other parts of it are, are kept very much alive and 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 fluid so um that that part of it's so interesting and to work that way can be really hard i mean certainly physically it's very hard um sure. and and in terms of the result like if if that material doesn't get handled properly and that's what i love the end result is so near and dear to my heart because the way she can work with this stuff is like nobody I've ever, I've ever come across because oftentimes you'll sort of be on a, on a film and you'll run around and shoot what you think is a ton of great stuff. And then you see it cut together. You're like, "Mm, okay, well maybe. Um, But just these films like, and this one in particular, and I think really all of her work is just like the editorial, the editorial choices are so like, crisp and right in the moment. Um, and she's using all the right pieces in the right order. It just feels really well balanced. In the end result. That's awesome. And why film? Is it aesthetic and aesthetic? That was choice? another, it's another, you know, all roads lead to Ava, I say, um, you know, she, she called me one day and said, look, you know, I'm watching a ton of stuff and, and there's just been three or four movies I've watched in a row that were done in 16 millimeter, like just sort of, I, I don't know, coincidentally, or if she was sort of looking only at film shot in 16, but we sort of immediately there was a sense that um, she had always sort of liked the idea of that format. And luckily it lends itself to her process, you know, smaller cameras, longer magazines, you can mm-hmm. roll for longer, they're much faster to reload, there's no loop, so you just sort of pop the magazines on and off. Um, so you shot on 16? Uh, yeah. The whole movie? The whole movie, every frame. Oh wow! Yep, and uh, 
so luckily that choice, you know, in 35, it would have been a very different situation. We'd have had to, you know, thread the movement and the reloads would have been longer, a little bit more, um, a trickier format for that style of filmmaking. Um, and I think there's, you know, there's a really great legacy of, of filmmakers in that style that, that utilize the, the 16 format. You know, it's funny. It reminds me of, we had a, a conversation with a filmmaker named, uh, Joe Vegas, uh, a little over a year ago now. He was like a horror guy, like, like, a like, you know, long greasy hair, doesn't have any sleeves on any of his black t-shirts kind of dude. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And you know, like we're around the same age. I was like kind of a digital diehard because like it right. made such, um, it just leveled the playing field. And as a person mm-hmm. who felt like you'd see like the rich kids shooting on 16 millimeter, I was just like raging against them my entire early career. And he really tur- like turned my head on the idea of shooting 16 in particular wow. as this kind of like freewheeling uh, for all the points that you mentioned, right? Like not just the aesthetics, but also like it has that versatility that I think we came up with, you know, like being able mm-hmm. to shoot freely and quickly. Yeah. Um, and I haven't been able to get it out of my head. It, it, it really is. I mean, you know, I, I sort of, came up in the era of a lot of 16 as sort of the sidecar to 35. And it was always about making 16 look like 35. And now ironically, everybody tries to make 35 look like 16 because the stocks have evolved so much and the scanning is so tremendous now that, you know, they're, they're, you're actually adding grain back on top of 35, which is like a preposterous for, for like somebody sure. who's kind of formally yeah. trained on motion picture film. The idea of adding grain to to a thirty five sure. millimeter high speed film stock like a five hundred tungsten film stock is preposterous. I mean, my friend Todd, who did Winning Time, like they're like on five hundred speed film, they're pushing at one stop and then they're adding like more mm-hmm. grain on top. I'm going like, what is happening here? You know. And now, ironically, like when I, you know, when Ava and I would sit and project the dailies on Origin, you, it sixteen looks like a you know the apparent you know, uh, uh, grain structure, just the technical image actually looks more to me like what I remember 35 looking like. And then you look at 35 now, especially like a low speed stock, like a 50 daylight or a hundred speed, or I guess they don't even make 200 speed tungsten film. It's like the grain structure is so tight. You sort of wonder why you would shoot film at all, you know, right. cause it doesn't and really then you're have, adding, you're adding, yeah, grain, you're adding your Alexa grain yeah, you're d- doing additional, you know, highlight halation and stuff because you're not getting that that feel. So to me, I was not completely clear on the 16 out of the gate. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, well, it, it'll work because it, it's small and longer takes. But I, I didn't, the image structure was not, um, it's not at all what I remembered 16 being. And I, I probably had, I had shot 16 a lot in like commercials and videos and stuff over the years, but like little small chunks, you know, like, oh, we'll do this sequence in 16 or whatever. But uh, to get back into it was like, was really um, inspiring, actually. And I do believe that the the, the process of making a, a, a narrative feature film on film is, a, it's a different experience. Like people's, 
whole demeanors, mm-hmm. what you're looking at, how the director is forced to interact with the set and the actors, you know, separate and apart from being glued to a, you know, these sort of incredibly, incredibly resolved, full resolution digital images that, that let you just watch your movie kind of unfold. It's a much more engaged process and you're, and you're dealing with all kinds of numbers being thrown, you know, it's like, it's like five, six, four, four, nine, two, two, eight, uh, open up, pull the end, you know, like all this stuff is happening all the time. So you're, you know, I think as a photographer, like your brain is just working differently as well, because you're not just sort of glancing at the picture being like, oh, that's okay. And then sure. going back to looking at you know, whatever it is. That you're false color at. on. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you, but you still have video taps, right? Like, Ava yeah, I mean, it's, they're not, they're not, uh, they're not spectacular, but they'll, they'll function. That's You'll crazy. know if someone's in the frame or not. Sure. That's about it. <laughs> well, I'm super excited to watch, watch the movie. I'm going to give you a Please 12 do. minute standing ovation. Please do in the theater, sure. whatever theater you end up. I don't at. care what just, AMC says. I'm staying there for 12 minutes. Up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What's next for you? I know you mentioned just, the Apple yeah, show. We're just, we're just over here with uh, a, another group of incredible dear friends of mine making uh, this project. And um, and then we will see what the future holds. But uh, it's an interesting time. You know, we're sort of coming back from a, 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 mm-hmm. a, 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 a tumultuous time and a lot of, you know, sort of strife, labor and management conflicts. And I think we're going to, watch the uh dissolving of the streaming arms race mm-hmm, and sure. uh hopefully get back to a little bit more of what i remember being the movie industry pre you know 15 streaming services putting out sure. 70 shows a year you know and and hopefully it'll be um a little bit more curated and um we'll start to see some really interesting work come out Origin is out in full force this weekend, um, January 16th. It is in uh, 150 theaters in the U.S. and more in Canada, and it will be uh, expanding from there. And we are um, very much looking forward to people sharing the good word and passing it on to one another and hopefully uh, being impacted by the work. Awesome. Do you have a few more minutes to endorse with us? Sure. Unpaid endorsements. Okay, so my unpaid endorsements, I have two this week. Um, One inspired by this conversation, actually. Uh, You mentioned winning time. um, And one of the camera operators on that show, he's actually, uh, I think, refers to himself as like a blade cam operator. He's I've like a rollerblades. Rollerblades. Roller yeah, he's yeah, a dude on, the, on rollerblades. On a basketball court. Yeah, on yeah. a basketball court, just like flying all over the place. His name is John Like, L Y K E, if memory serves. I knew him as an actor. He was did a series with me uh, a few years back, and so I follow him on Instagram. Um, but he's really kind of uh I think he must have been a competitive rollerblader as a, a younger person. He just flies. Just the, the shots that he's getting are insane. And for a show like Winning Time, there's ramps. The choreography is wild. But he uh, was nominated for um, a handful of awards, and as was the show recently. And there was like a little vignette about um, the philosophy behind the show that 
I just found really inspiring. Basically, the takeaway being that they would have, you know, eight millimeter cameras just littered around set. And the idea was that any operator was given free reign to like pick up a camera and shoot anytime they saw an opportunity, basically in between takes while people are, you know, in wardrobe or makeup or whatever, or talking to, to each other. All of it was free reign. And that's how, if you haven't seen the show, Winning Time, they'll cross cut, not unlike an old Oliver Stone movie, into all sorts of different mixed mediums. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I was always like, man, these shots are wild. The eight millimeter in particular feels really off the cuff and authentic in a way that it didn't feel like they were, you know, like down resing in post and things like that. That always feels kind of like cheesy and, and um, embarrassing. And so I guess I'm recommending following John on Instagram and just the idea of uh, embracing different styles of shooting, I think is maybe like freeing up your mind to, and allowing your operators or empowering them is a better way of saying it to like be opportunistic apropos of this conversation. Shortcomings is my other endorsement. Um, uh, Randall Park uh, directorial debut. I think it did Sundance a year or two ago. It's available on iTunes and all that stuff. But it's an adaptation of an old graphic novel series by a guy named Adrian Tamine that I've talked about on the show before that I love. Um, And it's like a cool, like kind of slice of life uh, story that just feels like kind of old school. It feels like a an old indie movie in the best ways, um, in the way that those comics did. Um, and uh, has some really fun performances and um, is worth your time. So Shortcomings is the other endorsement. Cool. Uh, Matt Lloyd, what you got? Well, selfishly, I think this week in particular, I will endorse Anjanu Ellis and Ava DuVernay, the people, not the... Mm-hmm. character and the director of the film because what I have witnessed them do to help to solidify the legacy of this film that we've made and to make sure that it ends up in front of the people that it needs to be in front of and make sure that it has a space to exist in uh very difficult landscape right now in a year that is already wrought with um, a lot of tension. They are just selfless in their effort to make sure that they are putting the film where it needs to be. And that to me is, uh, is really has been inspirational to watch and to, you know, be at the six and support it however I can, but really the extraordinary effort that's been put forth is um, very worthy of this moment of endorsement from me because, uh, you know, when you make films on your own and you don't have huge multinational corporations behind it, it takes a lot, takes a lot from the filmmakers and the, artists that appear in the film to get visibility. There's no studio behind origin. No, uh, neon is, is distributing the picture in theaters in the U S but, uh, was 100% produced by, uh, Ava's company array and, uh, a, a, a group of extraordinary, uh, 
contributors and investors that allowed the film to be made the way that she wanted it to be made. And I think, uh, you know, it really is if we're, if we're in a conversation with both active directors and people that want to be directors and, and, and are working towards a career in, in movies, it's very important to understand the amount of work that you face after you complete a film. The film can be monumental, fantastic, incredible. It can be all of the things. And without a platform with which to deliver it to an audience, there is no film. And so in now understanding that and witnessing it firsthand in a very personal way, people I care immensely for putting forth this extraordinary effort. Um, I would just say that that is something to that, that everyone should be considering as they mount projects or, you know, develop projects, think about things going out into, you know, the marketplace for lack of a better word. Sure. There is uh there's a lot out there and there's a lot out there with gargantuan sums of money behind it, promoting it. Um, you know, you drive down Sunset Boulevard and you just see, you know, you can't go three blocks without running past, you know, all kinds of materials to promote all kinds of things. So, you know, when you're out there on your own with a, with a, with a work of art, trying to show it to people, it, it really does take a lot. So that's my, uh, my shout out, my endorsement to my dear friends and, and the incredible effort that they're putting forth in the last uh, several weeks. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Kaplan. Mine are as usual, not nearly as heartfelt. Um, sure. I have uh, also two. One is this Facebook group called Where's Spot. Do you guys know this place mm -hmm. it, or this group? It's it's mainly for producers of commercials. It's W H E R E S Spot S P O T Where's Spot, and it's um, commercial producers that are just trying to ask each other for recommendations. So, like, I'll just read like the last three posts that were posted like today, seeking a director in the Philadelphia area with, ex with feature film experience, casting call, shout out to talented TV making folks out there looking for grip and electric people, local in Las Vegas. These are people from legitimate production companies doing legitimate productions. Just we're in Cancun. We need a grip. Like, so they've just pulled that off of Craigslist and are now separating it to make sure that it's, no, the and difference that stuff is, used to be on like crew find or what was the thing? What's yeah, that like thing? Mandy or staff Mandy, secret. Right? That was the one Mandy. Um, but this Mandy one is was wild back in the day. That, 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 that was, uh, that was like the wild west. Yeah. But Craigslist, I mean, that's where I started, but I would get student film, free student film jobs. Right, this is like right. seeking a sound mixer in Minnesota full rate, you know, January 19th and January oh, 20th, wow, right. actually posted by Chenny Chen, a, a UPM I worked with. <clears throat> um, wow. But so it's kind of real, real people and doing real commercials for real productions with companies with yeah. real budgets. And they are just looking for people. So if you are especially not in a major market, you should check it out because maybe they're looking. You're, maybe you're a sound mixer in Minnesota or nearby. Need a drone operator in Arizona. Like anyway, it's a good, wow. good place That's to cool. just find like legitimate paying jobs. The other thing, I was actually talking to Matt about this before. I, Pete Chapman, who's a director that has been on the podcast before, um, had posted this video today that he took from somewhere else, uh, but he posted on his Instagram. It's a video of, it's an interview with Ethan Hawke talking about um, how much you learn about cinematography in film school and how from his mm -hmm. experience, he's met a lot more great directors that are actor turned directors than 
cinematographers turn directors. Mm-hmm. Facts. Shout out to Ethan. As an actor turned director, you yeah. know, I think he acknowledges in the clip how, yeah. how funny yeah. to say this. <laughs> but something that you said, even in this, you are a cinematographer doing some of the biggest and most interesting work out there nowadays. And even you are like, I'm kind of over knowing the every model number of every light that comes out and over. Mm-hmm. And a lot of filmmakers go to film school and they really, really focus on the cameras and the settings and the dolly, you know, and the camp, like all the gear. But like when you go and you see these great directors, like, you know, I'm sure like an Ava DuVernay or John Watts or Dean Israel, I'm sure they know their gear pretty well, but the, the important thing that they're bringing is probably a little bit more about that human connection and about, mm. you know, why people are doing things and, and visions and vibes and tone and um, connections and the stuff that actors focus on, you know, probably a little bit more than, uh, than you would in a cinematography class, for instance. Um, not, not that there isn't a lot of art in cinematography, but, um, it, you know, whether it's true or not, what he's saying that like, you shouldn't worry so much about cinematography. I think that the point, what I pull from it, because I, I love cameras and gear and all that stuff myself, and that's how I got into filmmaking. Um, but he's, I think he's kind of challenging you to, as a filmmaker to think about the hard part, the, the people, the connections, you know, the performances, like being in the moment more than, you know, creating a beautiful big soft light, you know, and backlighting yeah. everything. But also I think for him, you know, I, I made a film with Ethan a few years ago and uh Which he uh, it's called the kid it was directed by vincent d'onofrio it's a kind oh, of cool. reimagining of the capture of billy the kid starring dane dehan and chris pratt and, Ooh, awesome. and directed by my man bd the legend vincent d'onofrio um and watching those guys i mean it's like wild you know i mean full just like as as in-depth sort of it's so ingrained in them the the, mm-hmm. the sort of essence of a performance like that they're 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 becoming these people in like really wild ways like just transfer like and can turn it on and off and like do all the you know it's really remarkable but ethan like has a a excellent sense of the camera too you know what i mean like he's not he's not you know, running out of the shot and, you know, not <laughs> sure, like literally sure. he's, you know, he's super aware of exactly what the shot structure is and, and where you are in the scene and what you're doing. And, and was a, a joy to, to, to photograph in that sense. So, you know, yes, um, to everything he's saying. And also, you know, he, when, when you have mastery of the other side of it, it it becomes easier to forget about it. You know what I mean? Because you're just, you're, you're aware of what's going on with the mechanics of the filmmaking without having to think about it too much. Definitely part of it. Sure. It becomes second nature. Yeah. 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 So you can focus on other things. But it did remind yeah. me if you want to excel as a filmmaker and stick out, like sure, know with the cameras inside and out, but also, and the tools, but also yeah. don't forget, like what will make you stick out is that, human element you know i think mm-hmm. that it will excite people and if you want to see that clip it's on pete chapman uh, p-e-t-e-c-h-a-t-m-o-n on his instagram he, he posted it anyhow uh matt thank you so much of course friend matt also thank you so fun man great conversation if you all have any questions for matt loin we're happy to forward them to 
him, you can email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com. You can find us on social media at justshootitpod. You can find me. I'm on Instagram at OKaplan. And I'm at Mr. Matt Enlow across all social media. This episode was edited by Noah Bayshore and produced by him. Thanks, Noah. With additional producing by Tyler Small. You're listening to music provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Shazar. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Goodbye. Bye.